0: From ransomware attacks to supply chain compromises, the CyberTalks podcast will delve into the world of the latest cyber threats and attacks impacting businesses globally. Join us as we speak with C-level executives and security practitioners about the cyber risks affecting their business and how they're addressing these challenges. CyberTalks is presented by eCentire, the authority in managed detection and response. To learn how eSentire can help your team build a more responsive security operation, visit eastentire.com I'm one of your hosts, Tia Hopkins, the field CTO and Chief Cyber Risk Strategist at eSentire. Well, thanks everyone for joining us for this session on Real Heroes Don't Wear Capes. So we're going to be talking about managing cyber risk in unrealistic conditions, but I mean, I think all of the conditions are a bit unrealistic that we're dealing with nowadays, um, but we'll, we'll dig into it. So, um, I'm Tia Hopkins, I'm a field CTO and Chief Cyber Risk Strategist at ESA Entire, the authority in managed detection and response, and I am joined by Rich Wader. Rich is the Chief Information Officer for Quarles and Brady, LLP. Rich, thanks for joining us. Thanks, uh, Tia. I appreciate it. Good
1: to be here. And, uh, you know, I was uh, a little worried last couple of years. We've had COVID and it's good to be in person. And now we have Hurricane Ian bearing down on us. So, uh, you know, hopefully we'll weather the storm together here. But uh, uh, thanks for having me. And uh, as Tia mentioned, I'm Rich Rather, I'm the CIO for Corals and Brady. Uh, I'll give you a little background about myself. Uh, I've been in the technology industry for over 25 years. Uh, I've served in a number of different verticals, uh, so education, government, retail, manufacturing, and legal. Uh, for the last seven years, I've been CIO at Quarles and Brady. And so, as a CIO, obviously, you can imagine it's unrealistic expectations across the board. So, um, I deal with pretty much anything that touches the network, and my teams do. And so, you know, working for a law firm and working for lawyers, sometimes there are unrealistic expectations there. If anybody's here in legal, you know what what I'm dealing with. So.
0: Uh, but every every business has its challenges, so. That's going to be fun. <laughs> so, well, what's a fireside chat without fire? Rich, <laughs> uh, I'm going to ask you to tell us a bit about your team, the makeup of the team, um, and, and how many of the resources that you have on your team are, are actually dedicated to, to cyber? Sure. So uh, at Quarles, I have a team and I've got a couple of different uh,
1: groups that report up to me, but my traditional IT team is uh, 36 individuals and uh, I have two and a half individuals that dedicate their time to cyber, two that are dedicated fully and then a half time that splits between operations and security. And I'll give you a little background on Quarles, too, because I think that's important. Uh, Quarles & Brady is a a national law firm. We are a full-service firm, meaning we practice in a bunch of different areas of law. We have over a 1,000 employees, and uh, a little over 500 of which are attorneys themselves. And so we're heavy document producers. But uh, since we're a full-service law firm, we have many different practice groups. So we practice in over 20 different areas of law. Each one of those practice groups utilizes a different set of applications. So... Our intellectual property attorneys you know, deal with applications for patent and trademark. We run CAD software. So, can you imagine that? A law firm that runs CAD. Um, but, you know, and our tax attorneys run a different set of applications. And as a result, we have over 400 apps. And so that you know, causes a lot of traffic and complexities in the environment that our team has to manage. So,
0: unrealistic expertise. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, I, I really want to jump into this. Yeah, I talk to a lot of security leaders, a lot of business leaders. Um, that struggle with the concept of being able to quantify risk. I mean, we're all in the business of risk management where we want to implement cost-effective controls, right, to reduce the risk uh, to our organizations. But I I wonder, you know, to what end? Because we can manage risk and manage risk and and manage risk, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're becoming more resilient. Um, I see risk as preparing for the things we know to prepare for, but resilience is really being um, prepared for anything. I do think though, cyber risk management is part of that. It's a very important part of that. And a lot of leaders struggle with the challenge of quantifying risk because you have to communicate the effectiveness of your program. You have to communicate that to executive leadership while structuring your team and prioritizing in a way that's gonna align the business outcome. So I'm curious, how are you prioritizing and guiding your team on what the priorities should be, but then also aligning those to, to business objectives. Ooh,
1: that's an unrealistic question. Um, so, prioritizing and aligning, um, you know, I, I think it is a challenge, and, and I think it's been beneficial over the last seven years that I've been in, in legal. Um, we work with the Office of the General Counsel pretty heavily in, in risk management departments. And so, you know, it's risk management, it's not risk mitigation, you know, uh, risk elimination. You just can't eliminate the risk. You have to be able to, to gauge it. And so, um, you know, I didn't start my career in technology. Actually, I used to be a history teacher and so um, I Tried to tell stories and try to relate things and so I work in legal and one of the things that attorneys can uh, Relate to are the, the scales of justice And so for those of you that are you know dealing with the law or you're just familiar with lady justice You know wearing a blindfold holding the scales representing uh, the courts blind eye and hearing both sides of the case um, I think in IT we do wear a blindfold once in a while for different reasons uh, but the scales of justice in, in my eyes represent, you know, security and usability. On one hand, it's, it's being more secure with the system and on the other side being usable. And sometimes when we boost up security, we reduce the usability to the end user. And you have to be careful with that in your prioritization, making sure that you're not making the system so hard to use that they're going to circumvent it and go around your systems and use something else. Especially in the post-COVID environment, the remote work from home is allowed people to use cloud-based services. and so. Um, they will circumvent your environment if they can, if you make it too hard for them to use. So, but also on that, on that path, you know, it was a long, hard journey for me. And, and uh, it started seven years ago as a CIO. And about three months into that, a uh, disaster struck for me. And um, we actually had a data loss incident at my firm where we had a laptop, an attorney had it in their car, it was stolen. That laptop had uh, client records on it for a, a large pharmaceutical company and so this was three months into me being CIO and I thought boy at this time I needed a career change I need to look at something else um but being a student in history I also you know learned from that and I, I looked to the words of Winston Churchill never waste a good crisis and so as a result of that incident I was able to form a real bond and partnership with my managing partner my executive committee which is basically my board of directors and I was able to really put a forefront and a focus on cybersecurity. And in hindsight, that was probably one of the best things to happen to the firm. Maybe not to me. I lost a lot more hair and went a little bit more gray, but um, it was a good thing because I was able to do things in the environment and really shore up our cyber posture with uh, you know, things that I wouldn't have been able to get through it previously without that incident occurring. So, um, you know, always look for
0: that silver lining in that cloud. You heard it here, never let a good crisis go to waste. Write that one down that's good you know you said you were able to to leverage that incident to to, to build relationships um and, and help move your your program forward and you know i, I talked to like i said i talked to a lot of leaders i read a lot of reports what's going on in the industry what are folks thinking about and i read a report that said you know because of the the, the enormous uh, increasing amount of publicly disclosed breaches and the increasing complexity uh, in infrastructure and things being moved to the pad cetera. Um, that boards and senior executive teams are becoming increasingly um, interested in the effectiveness of cybersecurity programs. And what I also read is the way they want those metrics communicated is in terms of the ability to reduce risk uh, over time. So I want to get a bit of your perspective on that. Like what KPIs and and metrics um, are you leveraging, one, to, to measure your program, but also, uh, to communicate, communicate that to leadership but sometimes it, right, it can't be the same. One of the things I like to say is don't talk to a CFO in bits and bytes when they're listening in dollars and cents. And, and a lot of leaders struggle to take those um, security findings and risk findings and, and translate them into uh, meaningful business outcomes.
1: Um, you know, this, this is a, an interesting question too. And it, I think it really depends on your business individually. And So you have to get to know your business. That's an important factor there. Know where your crown jewels are at, know what's important to your business, what drives it. Um, but in our environment, a useful exercise that we did—we actually started this pretty close to five years ago now. We actually looked at the MITRE uh, ATT&CK matrix, and so you know, I saw a, 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 a series over here, a, a seminar on a gentleman from Microsoft that was presenting on the attack matrix. I thought, boy, this guy is stealing my thunder because we did this stuff manually like five years ago. We actually went through the attack matrix and looked at the tactics and techniques. Uh, that are being used against organizations and my security engineers actually mapped out in our environment that attack matrix and what products we have to defend against it where our weaknesses are and so we made our own heat map and that heat map rose the the you know the deficiencies that we had in our environment to me and then conversely i was able to take a look at that engage it with the business needs and see is this important to our business you know what would happen if this you know were to occur in our environment And I was able to take that back then and equate it to dollars and cents. I go to my team and say, what do you need here? You need more manpower, you need a product, you need a service, you need a vendor. And I was able to communicate that back in dollars and cents to my board and say, these are the three things that we think are the biggest risk to the business. Here's what it's going to cost and here's what it's going to mean to you as practitioners in the environment. Here's how it's going to affect you in your daily job. You know, if we implement a password security program, as an example, and it makes you change your password every 90 days or it requires complex passwords, this is what it's going to mean to you. You know, you have to do it on your computer, but you also have to do it on your phone, et cetera. And so when you can equate that to them and, and give them that real life example, I think it hits home.
0: No, that's good. I, I agree with that. And I, I think you're fortunate that you were able to forge a, a partnership with leadership because sometimes I have conversations where security teams are and student leaders are trying to build out a program you know, to get to these outcomes but they're missing that executive buy-in. And what I mean by that is they have the buy-in from the perspective of it's important, we get it, we understand that cyber risk is business risk, you know, cybersecurity is sexy now, everyone's paying attention. Um, But the challenge is the executive team is either not aware that they own the decisions around what their risk appetite, you know, risk-tolerant levels and things of that nature are within the organization. And that is context that needs to be provided to that security team in order to know how to prioritize, because if if you don't have that, then you know what business outcomes are you um, aligning with in general. So um, interested in, in in your feedback on that, um, but also kind of to pull in uh, frameworks, because I feel like in absence of that guidance from executive teams, what these leaders uh, choose to do is to rely on frameworks, because other organizations have done this; it's vetted. It's tested. It's something that we can continue to measure ourselves against. So, what is your perspective on the importance of frameworks or not? Um, and any advice you have around doing it that way?
1: Sure. Um, you know, to your to your earlier point there. You know, I think um, you know part, most of my job today is actually relationship building, and it's relationship building with my team. You know, a, a good cybersecurity posture today is really about products, people, and and partners. And so, the people I have to make sure that I'm forging good relationships with the, the people in my environment, my colleagues, my executive committee, and so that's a good chunk of my job today. So, so I think that goes to your prior question. Um, the second one, as far as frameworks are concerned, you know, I, I think frameworks, um, you know, I, I'm illegal, and so from a legal perspective, we aren't really uh, required to adhere to any regulatory framework. Our clients are, and as an as a extension of that, our clients are expecting us to adhere to those frameworks. So we deal with all of them being illegal, whether it be, you know, GLBA, SOX, HIPAA, HITRUST, you know, uh, and we are missed the line. We don't have any certifications today in our law firm, and I will not go through with a certification process unless I can make money off of it for my business or it's gonna cost me money for my business because it is gonna cause me as a team and my team to focus on things that I could be putting elsewhere that I think are more important to the organization. And so until that occurs, a certification for me really isn't that important, but we are NIST aligned today, and um, you know that's where we focus most of our efforts on. I don't know if that answered the question,
0: it, it does. And I have a, a follow up because I think some frameworks can feel a bit like boiling the ocean, uh, but also deciding which framework to choose uh, can be a challenge. Uh, because when I first started talking about risk, I mean, coming from a place of threat uh, with these entire where we're just hunting for threats. Pivoting to a risk conversation, I would just say the word risk, and it would mean different things to different people. It would be compliance. It would mean threat-based risk. It would be the risk of not maturing of uh, the organization's door. So I started to say cyber risk, and, and maybe that would uh, make it better, uh, but 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 not 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 so much. So. Um, Just in terms of choosing the right framework to follow and then not trying to boil the ocean once you've selected that that framework, Um, any thoughts on how to manage that and communicate that with the team?
1: Again, I think it depends on the vertical that you're in. Each vertical has its own frameworks that I I think are important to it. Um, Again, we have to adhere to many of them just from a a client perspective. Uh, But we chose NIST. Uh, I think it aligns with many of those frameworks. Many of them are based upon it. And so uh, it was the easiest choice for us. Um, communicating that to your teams, you know, that, that's a tough one. Um, you know, many of, you know, I I'm dealing with lawyers and so dealing with legal has its own set of challenges. You know, we, in normal corporate America, you have an old rule of like 12 people and once you sell them that idea, hey, everything goes well, you know, you, you sell the CFO something, the rest of the accounting department falls in line. In a law firm, it really doesn't work that way. You know, I have 140 equity partners that are actually owners of the business. And so it becomes a difficult challenge trying to, you know, tell them how to run their business. Um, and when you try to communicate a framework, their eyes just gloss over. So you know you have to be careful with that from a framework perspective. But um, I think frameworks are a good you know, set of benchmark guidelines to try to adhere to and focus your business priorities on when it comes to, to different uh, types of risk. But if you're just going through a framework to check the boxes for compliance or regulation, you're doing yourself a disservice and you're wasting some of your time in my opinion.
0: Could not agree with you more. Um, compliance is not security, but also security is a compliance, and I and I think they have to be approached appropriately. You know, again, aligning to the desired outcomes of the business. If your mandate is to chase compliance, well you'll have to leverage a compliance-focused framework, but if it's securing the organization and you may want to start from a a different position. So you you mentioned NIST, which is a good segue into my next uh, question. So we think about the NIST cybersecurity framework, and we have the categories of identify, protect, detect, respond, um, and recover. I think gone are the days where organizations were squarely focused in identify and protect, where antivirus and and firewall was seen as the end all be all, we're good. Um, Now we're moving into detect, you know, more organizations understand that a lot of times prevention technologies will fail and you need the ability to detect when that has gone wrong and something is amiss uh, in your environment. But moving into response, uh, it's a bit of a struggle. And, and I think for myself, you know, I have at home uh, an, an alarm system set up, like I've got everything on, on every window, every door. If you sneeze in my house at the wrong time, some sort of alarm is gonna go off. You know, but, but I went to bed one night and, and, you know, I locked everything up and I was like, what, what the hell would I do if my alarm actually went off? Like, what is my response plan? Am I gonna hide in a closet? Am I gonna grab that? Um, and I think a lot of organizations find themselves in that position of, okay, well, we figured out this thing is going on, but what do we do now? So my question for you, what does response mean to you, um, especially when, when working with a partner um, to provide some level of response? What in the response process is, is, is important to you to keep your organization safe? Uh, that's another
1: twofold question. So, um, from a response perspective, you know, cybersecurity is a balanced approach today. And so, certainly, you have to focus resources on your defense mechanisms. But it's equally important today, I think, to focus on resilience and recovery because it's not a matter of, you know, if it's going to happen to you, it's a matter of when it's going to happen to you and how you respond to that. And the only way to respond appropriately is to have plans out there and exercise them frequently. Um, we do a DR, you know, cybersecurity test plan twice a year. And so we do it through an outside vendor. Uh, they come in and, and I don't even know the specifics of it. So it's a really good test plan and, and they will take people out of You know, we'll have 12 people on the, the cert team, the security incident response team. They will take people out of an exercise. You're sick today. You're at a funeral. And so they will completely take you out of the, the scenario and have you step through the response. And so the only way to truly, you know, have a, a good plan is to exercise it frequently. And you learn so much from it. Every time we do it, we learn a ton from it. Um, From a vendor perspective, you know, uh, I I look for a vendor from a a response perspective, somebody that knows my business, uh, a real partner in my business that has a vested interest. And when they understand my business, they're quicker to respond. And so I want somebody that's knowledgeable in their field and can respond quickly to my particular scenario. And so that takes a while to build that relationship and finding that good vendor.
0: I'm I'm sensing a running theme here with relationship building. (laughs) You're quite good at it, right? just uh, from a vendor perspective, talking about partnering, especially outsourcing security operations and being able to, you know, hunt for respond to threats on your behalf. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot, you know, there, there's trust that has to be there to your point around it being a relationship. I don't think you just entirely hand over the keys to the kingdom, right, um, on day one. So when you think about what you want to put on the the plate of your, your vendor, your partner, uh, your security services provider versus What you want to have your internal team focused on what what does that structure look like from your perspective so from that perspective
1: i guess you know we one of the things that i focus on internally is we have a lot of applications as i mentioned we have 400 plus applications and so uh, my largest team is by far my application support team and we do that for a reason number one we get to know the traffic of what's going on internal but number two from a customer service and support capability our engineers know those applications and so they can assist our users which makes it so much better for our end users Um, But there is so much traffic going on, so you have to weigh that. And I have a small team. I've got two and a half security, you know, folks. And so I'm an Ecentire customer. You know, who would have guessed it? Um, But, you know, there's so much traffic going on in our environment that it's really difficult for my team to see that. So I I choose to use Ecentire for that particular service. And we tie in so many of our different tool sets into that service that it really becomes a multi-signal MDR for us. So we're able to tie in the logs from some of those applications from our domain controllers, from our firewalls. Um, from uh, Microsoft Sentinel and our cloud-based services, and we tie in all those tool sets, and it really gives us a good view, comprehensive view across our environment. But coupling that with the fact that eSentire has many different customers, and I don't know, you have 150 plus customers, I think, in the legal vertical, you guys are seeing the traffic across all those different customer sets. And so things that my security team might miss, because it's only happening in my environment, you see it happening across multiple customers, and you're able to read those signals and you know, tune me into what's going on, and say, hey, you got something going on here where we might have missed it. And so that expertise is also something that I'm very thankful for. Yeah,
0: that's a good point. I, I will say, you know, with our expertise and the amount of customers we support, we know what's going on out there really well. But you and your team have the knowledge of what's in your environment much more intimately than we do. So together, you know, we drive the the, the best possible outcome, kind of match me in heaven, as I like to say. Um, so, I think we're coming up on time here, so I'll, I'll pass the mic back to you and see if you have any final thoughts, words of wisdom. Sure. Um, words of wisdom,
1: I guess, you know, having a good cybersecurity posture is is a journey, you know, if, and it's about the journey. It's not about the destination. When you think you've gotten to the end of it, boy, you just started, you know. So, I, I would say that's that's probably number one. And then... Having a good cybersecurity posture is really about establishing, you know, good relationships. So it's about the people in your environment, it's about the products you use, and it's about the partners that you, you form those bonds with. Um so I would say, you know, as as I mentioned previously, there's a couple of things, defense in depth, all the different tool sets, being able to, to defend your environment, um, knowing your crown jewels and what's important to your business so you can understand what's going on in it. Uh you know, taking a hybrid approach, making sure that you're focusing on your defense as well as your recovery and your resilience. And then really coming down to, you know, the, the people in the environment and, you know, the people that are on your team, your colleagues in the different departments in your organization, the, the people that are on your team, those that look to you for leadership and direction, and then your vendors. And so making sure that you have excellent vendors is, is also important. And I've been fortunate enough to partner with East Entire now for about five years, and, and I can tell you that you know, I know they have my back, and so I sleep better at night as a result of it. So, thank you.
0: To learn how East Entire can help your team build a more responsive security operation, visit EastEntire.com.